0: Hello, captive audience. I am going to do something different today. Um, So ever since I watched Sight and Sound Theater's Jesus musical, I have um, been convicted about reading the Gospel of John, which is probably my least favorite gospel. Um, I think I've talked about this. It's just kind of abstract and wordy and repetitive and whatever. But... um, I also have started using the Bible app to take probably granular, excessive um, notes as I'm reading. And yeah, today I'm going to share my thoughts from John 2, 1 to 12 in the NIV. So I'm going to read this and then I'll go through and read you my notes, um, which are mostly just, I don't know, observations, hypotheses, Uh, where I can see God because you have probably heard the devil is in the details but I tend to think that the divine is also in the details. On the third day a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone Jesus' mother said to him they have no more wine. Woman why do you involve me? Jesus replied there they stayed for a few days. So, yeah, my first note is from John 2 1, and it says, the third day with an exclamation point. Yeah, just seems like a kind of throwaway phrase on the third day. On the third day from what? Um, but, yeah, just. Just want to start with that right on the third day we know what the third day is, is famous for so it's not the first third day um even in this gospel um for verse two i am reminded of a million little ways by emily p freeman i just finished it and in one of the later chapters it might have been called offer i'm not really sure um she talked about, you know, what was what was Jesus like at this wedding? You know, did he know the bridegroom? Did he go up and hug him when he saw the bride? Was he thinking of the church? Was he thinking of you? Um. Yeah, it's just interesting. Can you imagine having God show up at your wedding? Like, I don't know, people who have been married, can you imagine, like, <laughs> just God and his friends showing up at your wedding? Like, you invited him, and he's like, yeah, sure, I'll be there. God and his friends and his mom and his brothers. Just, I don't know, what a what a strange concept. Um, yeah. So for verse three, I have this note. Jesus' mom was a guest. Jesus was a guest. This same mom came to take possession of him because he was crazy. Um, but in this instance, she didn't nag. She didn't prescribe, right? She didn't say, hey, hey, there's no wine. Like, but there's no wine. There's no wine. You know what I mean? Like, she wasn't, she wasn't insisting that he do something. She didn't tell him what to do. She didn't ask, "Can you like magic up some wine?" She just said, "Hey, there's no wine." She stated a fact with expectation. Um, And then Jesus' response is honestly kind of rude. So. I don't think it's as rude as it sounds to us because "woman" was not derogatory in that way, but it's still pretty uh, like, yeah, Jesus doesn't go into rescue mode. He doesn't take the car to Publix to buy a couple of bottles. You know, he acts like he's not going to do anything. Like it's not his problem. Why involve him? What does she want him to do about it? I think this is a test. It was an impulse of the spirit that led Mary to tell Jesus they were out of wine. She could have given up. She could have assumed she heard wrong or made a mistake. She could have said it's not her problem. She could have believed he was indifferent or a shortage of wine was trivial. Instead, she's known him for the last 30 years. She knows his heart, his identity, and his ability. And her response is such a mom thing to do. She doesn't even answer him. She directs the servants to obey him. She knows he can, and he will. Maybe she's a relative or a pillar in the community to command servants in someone else's home, but it's still such faith, not just to believe privately and silently, but in the face of apparent rejection to go one step further and now involve others. She's done what she knows how. She's included Jesus and included the laborers. This reminds me of Andrew, middlemanning the boy with the bread and the loaves. Once the problem was communicated, he didn't try to solve it through his own ingenuity. He found someone able and willing. Again, what are these servants going to do? They're seen and not heard. The background. But now they're moved into the narrative. Instead of being abused for the failure, irrespective of fault, they're facilitators of miracle. Can you imagine the servant's response? Here's this out-of-towner and his mom bossing them around. The problem is a lack of wine, not water. Maybe Mary suspects Jesus is going to say something weird because her instructions are do whatever he tells you to do. Whatever's brought, it could mean anything. Jesus gives these servants extremely unhelpful directions. These are not milk jugs, they're heavy stone jars. What a waste, what a weirdo. But they obeyed, exactly and totally. He said fill the jars, so they filled it to the brim. This reminds me of Peter fishing all night and catching nothing, but obeying Jesus, the landlubber's bizarre command anyway. Nothing happened after filling jar one. Nothing happened after filling jar two. Nothing happened after filling jar six. They followed, and it's futile to this point. And then the next verse is even more ridiculous. It's one thing to fill the jars in the privacy of a back room. The MB is visible, the center of attention. He's important. He probably doesn't want fresh water. He wants wine. The servants don't have wine. This is embarrassment. This is fiasco. Those three words at the end, though. They did so. Not only did Mary have faith, but these servants had faith. They could have refused the foolish, eccentric request to fill the jars. They could have refused the even more reckless, strange order to serve the MB. This reminds me of the centurion, who was a man under authority. These servants' livelihoods depend on obedience. They do as they're told, no questions, no hesitations. I know we're not merely Jesus' servants, but we are those too. Do we have this kind of instinctive obedience? When did it change? As it was poured? As it was drawn? As it was served? As it was imbibed? How late in the shot clock did God move? Was this a buzzer beater? The MB goes to the groom. Uh Uh-oh, was it still water? Was the miracle wine terrible and cheap? Good wine is aged. This wine is maybe seconds old. What's he going to say? What's the referendum on God's provision? So this idea of the best wine being saved for the end. um, Sorry, technical difficulties. This is God's heart. He doesn't front-load the blessings to reel us in, then hogtie tie us with disappointment and disaster. He's good from beginning to end, but the best is yet to come. The new wine will outshine the old. Whatever you define as the best day or the best era of your life, you ain't seen nothing yet. Jesus didn't take credit for this. He didn't even really do it. He didn't wave his hands or spit in the jars or make a speech. Like the multiplication of the loaves, he started with what was available. Jars, servants, and water. These servants wouldn't forget. And neither would Peter, Andrew, John, Philip, or Nathaniel. At a country wedding, God showed up and stepped up to keep the party going. He blessed this marriage. He blessed this gathering. He blessed this festivity. He celebrates. He delights. I don't drink. Even last night, I turned down wine. I just don't like it. But I think sometimes people like me, in our caustic caution, forget that God made the vine. Nazarite vows included abstaining from grapeishness, grapefulness. But Jesus Himself was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. I don't think God's will for us is drunkenness. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. But it was wine, not Welch's, at the Last Supper, and wine at the love feasts of the early Church. and on to the next one i love that this was a family trip jesus wasn't ministering yet he was baptized but hidden waiting delaying god would give him the green light until he received new revelation he was faithful to the old honor your mother anyway sorry i will work on the formatting of this it's probably a little bit hard to follow i um I didn't want to end up reading the whole passage again just first by verse but maybe I'll do that next time to be a little bit easier to follow um, but yeah anyway that's been really fun something I've been doing lately that has helped me to engage a little bit more with reading the word is not just to skim it to get to the end of it but to think about it to take some time and make observations and make connections and just see what God wants to say Um yeah, I think it's so easy to just forget him or pigeonhole him. Like I can be reading the Bible and not thinking about God, which is crazy. But, you know, it's just easy to get lost in the minutia or even in just the, the mystery, the weirdness, um, the volume. Like there's just so much in there and, you know, your brain sometimes just turns to mush reading it all. But God is God and it's cool to see him. You know like this is god in the flesh like god if he looked like me and he's doing super normal things like going to weddings being a guest um and yet he's also moving in these miraculous ways and yeah it's just it's exciting right like i i read this and i just wonder and i envy a little bit those those first disciples like can you imagine like God shows up and he just says, hey, follow me, right? And yet Jesus' claim is that for those of us who have received the Holy Spirit, that's even better than if he were here with us today, you know, holding our hands, guiding us, you know, demonstrating for us personally, physically, what it looks like to show up and be loved. So anyway, I just um, would encourage you all. Like, you know, when you're reading the Bible, and obviously some of it is a chore, some of it's a slog, some of it is just weird, right? Like, there's not really a better way to phrase that. I remember in Jesus the Musical, there was this scene where Nicodemus is all fired up and he's talking about, you know, the prophets and, you know, the priests are upset about Jesus because he's so popular and whatever, and they're just looking for any excuse to take him down a notch. And Nicodemus starts talking about some of the weird things the other prophets did, like, Ezekiel baking with his own excrement, or Isaiah walking around naked for three years. You know, it's just the Bible is, <laughs> it's really not this like prudes book, right? Like, in so many ways, it is dark and odd and just unpredictable and uncensored. So, yeah, but even in the middle of all of that, right? Like, we, we are allowed to be and demonstrated to be fully human. And Jesus was also fully human, but he was also fully God. And so, yeah, it's just, it's cool to see the union of those things um, in such a seemingly, I don't know, insignificant space, right? And I, I don't mean to like downplay the importance of a wedding to an individual, but this is a wedding, right? Like in a country where marriage is, in a culture a culture where marriage is like not rare it happens all the time like this is the expectation once you're a certain age you're gonna be married and jesus himself is not married right like he's 30 and not married and still you know living with his mom and brothers um i mean at least when he's not traveling with his bros but you know it's just it's this why why does god care enough to move in that moment but he does but he does What what does he care if this groom is embarrassed what does he care if the master of ceremonies doesn't get another glass, right? Like all of the good wine is gone. Um, like all the bad wine is gone, right? Like these people have probably like had plenty. What What does it matter? And yet God cares about the little things. Um, and it's interesting. I wonder how many of the things that we think are important God thinks are not and vice versa, right? Like we tend to think in these big picture things of like man i want to change the world and there's this josh wilson song that i love and i hate and it's called dream small and you know it's funny because then there's also bob goff's podcast that is the dream big podcast and i think the truth is somewhere in the venn diagram of those concepts because yeah like i think we do need people to dream big and to picture a different better world and to inspire and encourage and just go out and live that out right um, to pursue those things because if you believe the world's never going to change then it won't it won't because you're not going to do anything about it and you're going to your lack of example is going to tell other people it's not going to change either but at the same time i think the change begins where you are right it's not about changing the culture it's not about a big revolution it's how are you being faithful today right like how am i being faithful today how am i showing up and being loved in the little sliver of society that i have influence over right like yeah just instead of looking for ways to change everyone and everything right like how can i let god change me today all right y'all be safe be well i will be back